you actually can't know how bad your technique is until you get to past a certain threshold, past 80, 85% of your max. That's when things start to really move different. It's a different, it has a different technique there. You can squat 60%, 65, 70% of your, uh, of your uh, max like all day. Uh, and and you always squat it perfectly, you know. Uh, it's just simple technique work, that one. But as soon as you start to put 85% and more on the bar, and even going for singles or doubles, not even pushing it to failure or fatigue, you start to see uh, problems come about. And it's important because uh, when, you, when you stay around that zone on a regular enough basis, you get to get more practice at that kind of weight. So you get to figure it out, you get to fix it, you get to make it s smoother. And I'm Daniel Lucchini, and this is the Merakai Performance Podcast. And welcome to episode two of the Merakai Performance Podcast. You were just listening to Amir Fazeli talking about progressing the load, even if you might not be completely technical per technically perfect. This is not to be mistaken with ego lifting, which is on the other end of the spectrum, but we don't also want to spend all the time just practicing with low intensity weights and never getting the athlete to actually lift something heavy, which is going to highlight more technical errors that we might need to work on. Amir Fazeli is an elite level powerlifter. He's a strength coach and a business owner owning the Adonis Athletics branches, which are located across Sydney and there's been five gyms open for the last uh, 10 years, well, was, uh, the first one opened 10 years ago and they've been gradually expanding since then. Uh, Adonis Athletics has produced some of the strongest athletes in the country and that includes national record holders, world record holders and uh, he himself is also an elite level powerlifter having competed at seven international powerlifting competitions and breaking a world record and earning himself multiple medals uh, for the squat, bench and deadlift. So if there's someone to talk to about strength, Amir Fazeli is our man. Uh, I've had the privilege of working with Amir or for Amir for two years, as well as knowing for the last five, being a member of Adonis Athletics, and uh, only recently having just left to go off and do my own thing. Having uh, completed multiple uh, records himself, Amir is no stranger to elite-level sports, and this gives him a lot of backing to talk about what it takes to be an elite-level athlete and what it takes to choose an elite-level elite athlete. He's worked with numerous other athletes, including fighters and rugby players, and also has experience uh, as a combat sports athlete himself. He's built an empire of strength and he's doing amazing work at developing coaches. He's also present in the field of education, making sure that the next generation of strength coaches is also carrying the flame and continuing to develop great, strong athletes. He's a big believer in developing the minds of an athlete and you'll hear a lot about that today and what he looks for in someone when they come in and, and say they want to be an elite level lifter. What does it actually take and what are you looking for um, in that individual that says, yeah, this is going to be the one and this is they're ready to do it or do we need to try and develop that mindset? Strength is uh, completely contextual and relative to the, to, to the sport that we're in. Uh, we talk a lot about strength sports today where strength is obviously everything and it's the most important factor. But we do a really, uh, Amir does a really great job of integrating that strength into other sports. And we talk about how that's best done today. And a lot of that comes down to not focusing on the numbers and it's not about improving the strength for the sake of improving the strength. And that's what separates a, 
a strength coach who comes in with a, a powerlifting bias versus a strength coach who knows about powerlifting and knows how to get people strong and can utilize that to increase the athleticism of the individual. Uh, Amish shares uh, a lot of wake-up calls and a lot of things that people need to pay attention to and stop paying attention to. Uh, we touch on early specialization and how it can be a negative thing. And we talk a lot about hypertrophy training and the way in which we can periodize training better for strength athletes or non-strength athletes while using the barbell and using the squat bench and deadlift, uh, potentially, or, or any other lift, but following the same principles to improve their performance in their sport, whether that is the strength sport or not. Uh, there's some really valuable information and if you're a coach who's just starting out or even a coach who has quite a lot of experience but wants to break into the next level of coaching, this is a great podcast for you and it will give you some direction and tell you what it takes to become that level of coach that you want to be. If you did like today's episode, I really appreciate it if you would share this uh, with another coach, share it on your social media or send it to them directly. It means a lot and it will help the spread and will allow me to continue to, to bring you information and share different information on a variety of topics uh, related to athletic development. I don't think there's any topic not worth talking about. Uh, I especially like the ones that are going to be a little bit more, uh, going to cause a little bit, ask a little more questions. And we're going to dive into those over the next few weeks as well. So if you are enjoying, please subscribe to, to the channel. And without further ado, here is the conversation with Amir Fazeli. And welcome, Amir Fazeli, to the Merikai Performance Podcast. It's great to have you on. Thanks for taking some time out of your day. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to this. Let's do it. Yeah, so I'm really excited to, to get into your brain a little bit about strength. Obviously, I've had the pleasure of working with you for the last couple of years and working under you and, and getting to learn from you. Um, but I want to sort of dive a little bit more into to what you're doing now and, and spread that information out to the coaches listening. Uh, one of the yeah, things sure. that I think is, is super important for coaches is to have some sort of athletic background or at least a, a, a strong practice yourself in the sport. And you embody that fully. So did you want to give us a little bit of a detail about your history as an athlete? Sure. Uh, from, uh, from early, in the early high school days, I was actually pretty lazy and out of shape. And uh, along the way, something clicked in my head in regards to, you know, sort of like a, what am I doing with my life sort of thing. But, you know, as a 15, 16-year-old sort of thing in regards to looking at myself and being like, you know, People around me my age, you know, especially males, you know, at that age, especially thinking, you know, I'm a man, I'm becoming a man, you know, it wasn't acceptable to me uh, to be out of shape, uh, to continue the way that I, that I was continuing. So around mid-high school, I, I uh, kind of went from one extreme to the other, being I uh, started to get into boxing and I found that I really enjoyed it and I really understood it well and the combat sports in general. And uh, from there, got into uh, BJJ back in those early days, wrestling, kickboxing. Uh, ended up having a, a kickboxing fight, uh, a match. And so that sort of stayed as my passion for a while. And around the time that I was uh, opening up Adonis Athletics, I was working multiple jobs. So I had no time to do the combat sports. So I had stopped at that time. Uh, against uh, against my own, I guess, decision or, or desire. And uh, the natural sort of progression from there was to get into powerlifting or the strength sports because that was also something that I was into uh, going along with that same 
sort of thought process of, you know, uh, as a teenager thinking like I'm, I'm growing up, I'm becoming a man. This is what I need to be. I need to be strong. I need to be fit, etc. So powerlifting sort of became like a natural progression. And it was something that I got pushed into by, uh, by a colleague of mine at the time. And so uh, I competed, I first competed in December 2010. Uh, then I, I did well. Uh, thankfully, I won that competition pretty comfortably. I got invited into the, to the nationals uh, next year. I won that as well. Uh, and from there, went on to represent Australia seven times internationally at, at international powerlifting competitions. Was uh, fortunate enough, worked hard enough to break the world record in the deadlift and uh, got a gold medal at the world championships on a separate occasion, got a bronze medal in the squat on a separate occasion at the world championships. And uh, yeah, like as they say, the rest is history. So I, I managed to uh, stand on the podium a couple of times, get to a couple of international competitions, get a lot of experience under my belt and really experience what it's like to be an athlete, which is something that I actually always sort of wanted to do. I was from those uh, mid high school years, I always thought, you know, it would be cool to be a world level athlete. You know, I wonder what that, that would be like. That would feel so cool. So I got to experience that. I got to experience what it, what it feels like. I got to experience what you have to do to get there, uh, how you have to think to get there. And um, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a good feeling. And uh, hopefully I can do it again. Yeah, it's not over yet, right? The career's still going and you're pushing for the current Nationals this year, right? That's right, yeah. Nationals again end of this year. Uh, World Championships uh, are coming up. I might, uh, might give that a crack as well. Should be good. Yeah, awesome. And you're still doing some wrestling training as well, right, at the moment, but more uh, as a yeah, side, yeah. side thing. Yeah, back into, back into the wrestling, really missed it. Um, uh, I'd been off for quite some time. And, and so last year, I sort of started to get into it as much as I could, given the, uh, the packed schedule. And, and that's still continuing now. Uh, it's only one, maybe two days a week, but something is always better than nothing. And I'll just keep going until I can make that time to, to get there. So as someone as well who's also done powerlifting training for a while and I've, I've also dabbled in the combat sports a little bit, I've always found that powerlifting training or just, I guess, heavy strength training in general can become a really grueling process. Uh, it's very repetitive and there's a lot of hard work and it takes quite a big toll on the body. From your own sort of experience and opinion, I guess you've gone deeper into the powerlifting, but just to, to compare, say, your wrestling and, and combat sport training, Versus powerlifting, what separates them? What makes powerlifting such a, a challenging thing from a physical standpoint and then compared to the, the wrestling and combat sports? Yeah, I don't know what you mean in terms of like repetitiveness and um, sort of it can kind of become monotone for some people. It actually, it, it can. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about for people who are already in strength sports. So they're, they're very familiar with, what it entails and what you have to do. So I know personally of like strongman competitors who are like, dude, how you do powerlifting all the time. It's just squat bench deadlift, squat bench deadlift. Like that's the only thing you are, you're striving for, you know? Yeah, sure. You got to do some pause squats here and some pause deadlifts there and some deficit deadlifts or close grip bench press or whatever. But it's just more or less always the same. It can't really, you don't veer too much away from those lifts especially as you get more and more advanced, you have to stay within the vicinity of those lips too, so you can improve. Um, for me, the, 
I never think like that it's, oh, here we go again. Like, got to do it again. It's, it's monotone or whatever. I guess for me, because uh, there's always that, um, uh, that the, in the front of your mind, there's that reminder of the reward that's about to happen, that could happen. Meaning like, you know, let's do this because it's going to get me a, a national record. Let's do this because it's going to get me a world record. Let's do this because it's going to make me one of the best uh, lifters in the country uh, and so on. Like these, these sort of outside goals that it can eventuate into make it, make that monotoneness, if, if any, worth the effort. So it's just always a constant challenge, uh, you know, like... Uh, would be cool to squat 300. Come on, we're getting closer. Let's go. You know, the, the, the finish line is in sight. It'd be cool to deadlift 330. Come on, we're nearly there. Let's go. We've got to do this to make it happen, you know? And so it just becomes a question of, you got to do this to make that happen. This is what you have to pay. This is the cost you have to pay to get that feeling, to get that achievement. And so that um, makes it almost fun, you know? Like I enjoy squatting you know even though that's not my best lift my best lift is a deadlift i love squatting because it's uh it's a challenge to figure it out and get better at it and it's feeling better it's feeling more in the groove uh it, it really it really becomes an enjoyable process as far as uh, the the contrast with other sports such as wrestling for example combat sports they are different in a sense and sometimes they can get monotone in a way because you go there and, you know, you're, you go to practice because you're in the mood to wrestle somebody. But you have to, like, do drills. You have to do single leg, take down drills, like, again and again and again and again. Then, like, another variation of it. And you're like, come on, dude. I just want to take somebody down, you know. I just want to wrestle somebody right now. Uh, so, in that sense, like, there's less action, I guess so you, you can say, like, when you want to do it. Whereas with powerlifting, it's, it's, not a, it's obviously not a team sport. It's up to you. There's no classes. There's no coaching like, uh, like in BJJ or wrestling or in boxing. So you can just go in, get warmed up, get straight into the squat. If you want to get straight into the squat, it's up to you. Uh, if you want to take your time warming up, it's up to you. Uh, if you want to drill it a little bit, it's up to you. So uh, in that sense, you know, going back into combat sports now, you know, after, after so long of doing regular powerlifting, you, you just, I just want to jump straight into the actual action. But you have to remind yourself, like, you've got to step back, you've got to drill the positioning, the technique. It's so much more to it. Uh, powerlifting is, is a very simple sport in, in contrast to many other sports. Like a lot of people, um, and I say this as a powerlifter, a lot of people think that powerlifting is hardcore or whatever. It's not hardcore. It's not hardcore at all. It's just lifting weights. It's just training. There are plenty of other sports that are much harder to train for, much more hardcore, much harder uh, to, to get good at because there's so many more factors involved. And um, combat sports is definitely one of them. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. But, and I guess coming back to that point, any sport to, to really make it to a high level, there has to be a sense of repetition. There has to be a sense of, of monotone, in quotation marks, work because it's that work it's that drilling it's those small little details that you need to practice repetitively that are going to lead to that result and like you talked about it's the desire to achieve whatever you're working to achieve that's going to separate your average athlete who stays on program for four weeks and then decides to max out or whatever it is versus the guy who makes it to worlds and breaks a world record 100 percent, absolutely and as someone is doing perspective perspective exactly um, 
So I guess let's segue over into now you know, your coaching life. So you have all this experience as an athlete, you understand the mindset of what it takes. Take us a little bit through, I guess, where you started your coaching and how it sort of blended, uh, sorry, and who you've worked with and who you've worked with, which different type of athletes and the ways in which you think that your experience as an athlete has really accelerated their progress. So, uh, before beginning, before opening Adonis Athletics, which was in 2010, uh, my experience as a coach was obviously much more minimal. Even at the time when I opened it, it was, it was minimal. Uh, I had uh, some clientele, some athletes that I used to train at a park. I was working at uh, various gyms. So that was mostly general population with some more serious people sort of sprinkled in there. Uh, and then it didn't start... It didn't start to exponentially grow until I actually became uh, more full-time, more involved at Adonis Athletics as the early days you know, of expansion and stuff like that. Uh, so um, although we have a very prominent powerlifting team, uh, Adonis Athletics was never, uh, the intention was never for it to be a powerlifting gym. It still is not. It, it was always intended to be a strength and conditioning facility so that I can work with athletes. That was my Passion. That's what I wanted to do when I was in, in uh, at university. I knew that one day I wanted to open my own place to work with athletes, because have, studying sports science, I, I knew that there was either clinical work or sort of the sport field. Clinical didn't really interest me. The sport field, I knew that it was hard to break into sporting teams and stuff like that because of a lot of various different factors. So I knew the only way to do it was to have my own place, and. So I started to work with uh, wrestlers uh, would come in there, some, uh, some Iranian wrestlers used to come in uh, to get training for their local competitions, but also uh, trained a couple of them for Olympic qualifiers, football players, soccer players used to come in, quite a few of them. Uh, and eventually, because I was into powerlifting myself and I used to train there and stuff like that, naturally more and more powerlifters came in. So I started to work with a lot of powerlifters. A lot of strength sports from there also grew. So some strongmen would come in, some weightlifters would come in, and uh, we would work with them as well. And uh, then over time, the trend of the, of the fitness industry, more and more of the general population started to get into barbell training. So they didn't necessarily want to compete, but they did definitely want to train to get stronger. So in essence, they were recreational level, non-competitive powerlifters. And so I started to get a lot of experience uh, getting people stronger as time went on. And uh, as I started to move up in levels of competition, I started to be able to see what it feels like at this level of competition. What kind of a thought process you need, what kind of a mindset you need, uh, what kind of a uh, discipline in terms of your diet, nutrition, training, mindset you need. And I would pass that on to uh, especially people who were clients who wanted, to, who wanted to take their lifting a little bit further, who wanted to go a little bit higher in terms of uh, competition levels. And it made it easier for them to reach those levels, to become national champions, break national records, get to world championships, a few of them also broke world records and, and became world champions as well. It's because I know the, the amount of pressure that's probably in the backstage at an international level competition, how quickly you have to move in terms of your warm-ups, 
uh, how or what sort of things could potentially throw you off your game and you have to prepare for. So all of those stuff became very valuable for me to be able to use to, to coach others uh, who also wanted to get to a higher level. And it became a breeze for me then to coach people at just normal local competition level because I would be able to give them very simple tips and cues in terms of how to think about the next live, how to approach competition, how to have fun, how to um, just be more in control of the day, of themselves, of their thoughts. And so once people start to enjoy competition, once people do well in competition, they take more of an interest to it. And all of a sudden you've got somebody who maybe started out wanting to only do recreational level competition and now they see a lot of uh, potential in themselves because you see a lot of potential in, in them and you brought it out of them and now they go on to become national champion whereas the intention wasn't in the beginning to start us that they just wanted to compete to just give it a crack but because i got to learn those things through the, the experience of high level competition uh, i was able to bring that to the table for my clients for the athletes at adonis athletics and get them to a higher level in a, in a quicker way yeah and that's a massive thing and too often we're looking for perhaps the motivation to compete when realistically the the competition becomes the motivation and oh, that becomes absolutely. a positive positive feedback yeah. Loop there yeah yeah for sure your, your results also, in the competition you know when you, especially when you surpass your your expectations when you just have fun when you when you just see what you're capable of you know and it's it's very important and I, that's why i think everybody should compete everybody should compete to learn about themselves yeah and that's coaches athletes and just everyone else in between yeah um so as a, a the owner of donis athletics you've seen a lot of coaches and you touched on some things there uh, about your own experience and how that's helped you as a coach what other elements or mindset factors or skills do you think it takes to be uh, the difference between a just a general trainer and a really good high-level coach working with athletes? What separates them? That's a good question. So I guess this goes back to uh, an age-old question. You know, does, does a coach need to be a great athlete? And I think while it's true that uh, I agree that the, a coach doesn't need to be a great athlete to be a great coach. Um, I do think that if somebody is looking for a coach who has been not necessarily a great athlete, but who has been to high levels, who has tasted uh, what it takes to be at a national championship, at a world championship, at multiple world championships maybe, or multiple international level championships, international level competitions, and they have the ability to articulate information and, and communicate it to you well, then you have yourself the biggest chance of um, being successful, having the right coach by your side, the right person on your team. And that's the person you may want to think really hard about sticking with. And I think, firstly, a coach needs to be able to communicate, needs to be able to get somebody to have buy-in and uh, and there are there are people who have not reached a high level of competition and can do that absolutely so i think communication 
style, communication ability, uh, to be able to uh, find a glimmer of hope, find a spark in somebody and be able to pull that out of them and turn that into a big fire is the first thing. Uh, that's the first priority. It's just an icing on the cake if the coach has been to higher levels. It's not a necessity. Uh, absolutely not. Because if a coach has worked with multiple high-level athletes, they still get an understanding of what it takes, what kind of a mindset the athlete needs, uh, what kind of a discipline the athlete needs. So it just comes down to experience. Essentially, that's what it comes down to, right? Experience. That's, that's probably the best way of putting it. Now, you can get the experience one way or another. You can get it through actually going to those high-level competitions yourself, or you can get it through working with high-level competitors on a regular basis, having coached high-level competitors on a regular basis. But as long as you've got a track record of having proven and delivered results, then you've delivered results. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily make, uh, make you any less or more whether you have been to high-level comps or not. But if you have more power to you, if you have, you understand certain things maybe a little bit better, just a tad bit better, and maybe that can make the difference for a high-level athlete. Um, but the more experience you get one way or another, as I was saying before, the better it is. If you want to work with high-level athletes, then you better uh, start working your way towards working with a lot of high-level athletes, whether that's on a voluntarily basis, whether you're going to intern somewhere, who knows. Uh, but the, the more high-level athletes you can work with, the easier the lower level athletes become because you understand the mindset that it takes to, uh, to deal with complicated situations and scenarios, uh, to deal with uh, lulls in training, plateaus, frustrations, injuries, uh, a lot of the psychological factors that, that um, really can only come about by working with a lot of people, not just reading book, understanding people. And, you yourself are somebody who is exceptionally good at uh, doing that, at communicating with people and being able to get a point across and being able to ask a question that doesn't necessarily require an answer at that time, but it gets somebody to think about the question that was asked and maybe how else they can approach a problem, a situation, a scenario. So a good coach understands those things, understands how to communicate, how to ask for something without asking for it, how to say something without really saying it and uh, getting buy-in from the athlete. That's important. I hope that answers yeah. your question. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I think communication is such a huge element because you can have all the knowledge in the world. If you can't share it, it doesn't matter. And as far as like who we need to work with, then it sort of like becomes the progressive overload thing. You start working with yeah. Yeah. who you start working with and you expose yourself gradually. And just as you yeah. were talking, it had me thinking about my own sort of journey as a coach and remembering sort of before I started working uh, within the NRL and the rugby league. And then once I came back, it, it did become a lot easier to work with other people because your communication gets more concise. Guys mm. at the top level don't take shit. They want to hear yeah. it come clean and straight and they need to understand yeah. it. It's not about, you can't impress them. So you stop yeah. trying to impress people and just make things work. 100%. It's about the results. It just becomes about the results and just... This is what you have to do. This is how you have to do it. And, and I'm just communicating it to you. So let's get it done. It's a team effort, you know? Yeah. Results, results speak loud. Um, 
So speaking of results, let's get into the sort of nitty gritty um, of the training aspects. Now, obviously this is gonna be a very loaded question, but you can sort of just simplify it in a way, but what are the key elements you're looking for when coaching a barbell strength athlete? And how does that vary when you're coaching a non-barbell athlete, but who is still using those movements to get stronger? So that's actually, that's a good question. With, um, with barbell athletes, if I want them to, to get to the highest level, if that's, if that's what you mean, I will, of course, train everybody and anybody. I'm, I, will, I love, above all else, to work with people who just want to get after it. That's the main thing for me, right? That gives, uh, that gives meaning to my days. That gives meaning to my life. It's, it's just an enjoyable thing. I can do it for free all the time. Uh, as far as a barbell athlete is concerned, any athlete for that matter, I look for true dedication. I, um, it's really hard sometimes to change somebody's mentality in relation to um, how they see life, how they see problems, how dedicated they're going to be to certain things. Because how they do one thing is how they do everything. And, you know, for example, with barbell athletes nowadays, uh, a lot of powerlifters, for example, within the culture, people are looking for how to get a bigger arch on the bench press to improve their bench. When that's not the that's not where the problem is that's not the issue they they weigh 70 kilos but bench 80 90 kilos 100 kilos the issue is not in the arch there's a there's a problem somewhere else and it's very clear that you need to probably put on more size because you are 5'10", 5'11", so you're six foot and you weigh 80 kilos, 75 kilos. You need to put on some size if you want your bench to go up. It's not about getting a better arch. It's not about looking up those YouTube videos of your favorite lifter and how they get a tighter arch. Uh, so that mentality there shows that they're looking for some sort of an answer. Now, that's a bad mentality to have. The ones that come through and always do well are the ones that uh, have that quiet confidence, the ones that uh, listen, listen well to what you have to say. They ask questions. They don't take things to heart because, the, because they understand that, you're, you're, that they, their performance improvement is in your best interest as a coach. So whatever you're saying is for them to get better so that you can look better as the coach. It, look, it looks good for a coach when they get results for their athletes. So um, having that discipline, first and foremost, having that mindset to want to get better, to have an open mind, to listen to things, try things out, just do it sort of thing. And, and let's have a communication. Let's have a chat instead of thinking like, you know, everything and you've already done it. And um, you, you, there's nothing more to learn. That's a bad mentality. That's the first thing um, you, you don't want in, uh, in somebody. Uh, the, the, next thing, uh, the next thing is, of course, you look at uh, their build, their genetics. Uh, if, if they come from a 
solid bodybuilding background, they're probably going to do very well in the long term. And that doesn't necessarily mean bodybuilding in terms of um, competition. They don't necessarily having, uh, have to have competed. But bodybuilding training, building their muscle, developing their physique. Uh, in terms of genetics, how they're built, you know, their limb lengths and stuff like that, um, their segment lengths and ratios, that can tell, you, tell me a lot about how far they can take it and how good they can get. Uh, but above all else, honestly, it just comes down to mentality. If you've got somebody who's always making excuses, if you've got somebody who's just soft to begin with and they want to get to a high level, unless they change that mentality, they're not going to be able to do it. You need somebody who is just turns up to roll call and just does the work. That's the, the every single time that I've um, seen somebody go to get to a world championship, they've they've showed that uh, characteristic as a personality uh, within their personality. They've just done the work. They just turn up and they do it. If there's any problems, they talk, they communicate, they ask questions. If you have something to tell them, they listen to what you have to tell them, and they have an open mind. They don't just um, they don't just reject what you have to say as a coach. Uh, there is a really good open relationship. There's a good open conversation back and forth all the time. And they just execute on the plan. That's what I notice. Uh, and that's what I look for. That's how I know it's going to be a smooth ride. Yeah. I think we live in a time of we're always looking for a shortcut or, or the, the easy pill that's going to get us to where we want. And if we look for that too early, there's nothing wrong with looking for that. There's nothing wrong with trying to optimize the way we do something technically. But if we haven't done the yeah. work beforehand, like I think bodybuilding is hugely underrated, not just in, in strength sports, but in, in all sports, because it gives you an understanding yeah. of, of like muscle tension. It gives the joints individual function um, and things like that. And Absolutely. that actually brings me to another point that I want to talk about a little bit later, but I th this is something I've seen as a bit of a trend and I, I think you might agree as well pops perhaps with the rise of the Instagram lifter, but we're seeing a lot of really young people doing really crazy things, like just hitting numbers that you wouldn't suspect. And it's making me feel like I should never have started lifting 10 years ago. But yeah. the problem with that is I think that people are peaking too young. They're skipping that work phase. And then all of a sudden they're 23 years old and they're no longer lifting or they've, they've dropped off to go chase, you know, Instagram fandom or fandom, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, do you want to speak about that a little bit in your opinions? Though? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I agree that uh, people are peaking too early or when I say peaking, specializing too early in, in certain things. Um, it's really interesting for me because I've lived through the crossover era of that, that culture. So when I, I'm, I'm um, 32, I don't even remember my age, 32 or 33 now. <laughs> that's not a good sign <laughs> yeah that's not a good sign um so i started lifting when i was 12 13 years old uh when i was in year eight and back then everything was bodybuilding there was no powerlifting there's no powerlifting culture i was in powerlifting in australia anyway came into into being into into uh, being a thing in 2010 that's when raw powerlifting came in and that was my first competition, in fact. That was the first comp that they introduced raw powerlifting back to Australia. So, uh, and by then I was like 24 years old. So I'd already been lifting for like 10, 12 years. Um, and I saw 
the change in the culture. Before that, everything was about just doing the work. In, within bodybuilding, it was just about doing the work. You just go and rep it out. Multiple exercises. There was no arching in the bench press. There was no, you know, um, we, I don't know about weightlifting shoes. There was, there was no powerlifting belts. Uh, you, just, you just lifted either just without a belt or if you could afford one from Rebel Sport or something like that, a $20 one. As a, as a, you know, a student, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, you'd go and get one. Otherwise, maybe you and your mates at the gym would just share one belt amongst yourselves. And, you know, I remember the first time I wore a belt, it felt like cheating. It was, it was that easy. It, like, it felt so easy, the same weights that I was doing. And now you've got people, like, over-relying on, on belts. They're wearing belts year-round, knee sleeves year-round. And as soon as you tell them to take the belts and knee sleeves off, they feel insecure uh, about their lift because they know they're going to be lifting less. Uh, and all they're asking is, when can I put the, the belt back on? When can I put the knee sleeve back on? And it's just brought about this culture of softness almost uh, in, in a lot of uh, new lifters, at least I think. And I think that that, um, that thought process, that, that mindset that it's created is easily leaking into uh, many other aspects of their training, long-term especially. So, you know, you got in the early parts of their lifting, when somebody has just started out, they're six months into it. And all of a sudden, they are focusing on how to optimize their, their hook grip when they don't even have the mechanics of the deadlift down pad just yet. They're not even deadlifting like double body weight just yet, clean. Uh, they want to specialize straight away into a sumo deadlift, for example, right? Whereas they don't, they don't even have um, a good understanding of the hinge pattern in the conventional deadlift. So, for example, I think that everybody should start with the conventional deadlift unless they absolutely can't for one reason or another, whether it's, whether it's uh, their um, mobility, putting them in an absolutely terrible position or anything like that. I think anybody who's, who's starting out in deadlifting should start out doing conventional deadlifts to really get the, get the basics down pat, understand what a hinge is and uh, get the posterior chain super strong, which is going to carry over into other lifts, by the way, such as the squat. And then from there, you start to specialize more in becoming a sumo specialist or what have you, if, if that's the direction you want to go. Uh, the different types of equipment that you rely on uh, early on, I think, in my opinion, is a bad idea. If you're a male who's 70, 80 kilos, and your squat is like 120 kilos max, you shouldn't be putting on uh, knee wraps. That's my opinion. I think you should be getting stronger. You should be getting stronger without a belt, without knee sleeves, and finding out what it is to squat to full depth for sets of 10, multiple sets of 10, uh, put yourself through a hard leg workout, bodybuilding style, until you puke. Figure out what that's all about. Uh, you know, you've you got to go through the, the, the hard knocks, so to speak. And if you're really serious about long-term strength, if you're really serious about getting strong, and I mean really strong, that's what you have to do. The uh, early specialization really leaves a lot on the table, I think. Yes, you get to lift impressive weights younger earlier in your lifting uh, career for sure but if that's what you want if you just want to be around like a shooting star for a couple of years and then be gone sure you can do that it's no problem but if you want to be lifting for the long term to come if you want to develop some serious strength 
lift some serious weights, uh, then I think you need to take the time to really build your body in the early phases, do a whole wide range of a wide variety of exercises, get good at them, get good at their principles, uh, forget about technique hacks for a while, for a long while. Don't try and get every last bit of tension an inch on your bench arch. Don't try and figure out how to do the best uh, hook grip. Uh, don't try and uh, get $300 shoes for your squats when the basics are not there yet. Uh, don't try to get a $300 belt when you don't know how to brace well yet. You haven't been through all that stuff yet. Get good, get strong, get like raw strong, like proper strong first before you start to specialize in those things. And I guarantee you, you'll have a more injury-free lifting career. You'll have, uh, you'll have a longer time, longer, longer training career, and you will get ultimately stronger in the longer term. You'll start to shift some huge weights in the years to come. Strength takes time. There is no way around it. The, the sad irony is that people treat it like a, like a sprint, whereas by nature, and this is irrefutable and immovable, and you cannot argue against this, by nature, the sport, the development of strength, the improvement of central nervous system efficiency, which is what that is, the, the increase in muscle cross-sectional area, muscle size, which is what that is, that's what strength training is, increasing central nervous system efficiency, and increasing muscle size and putting them in conjunction with each other. They take time. You can't do it in a year, two years or three years if you want to develop anything impressive, anything that's going to last that people are going to talk about in the years to come. It takes time. Yeah, people are forgetting the base of the pyramid a little bit and that's just developing that, that starting strength, that foundational strength that's separate from, from all the equipment and separate from the special techniques and things like that. And you know, it's like you said, it's early specialization. It's specializing too much in just one element of what strength training is as well. Uh, you, you might not do powerlifting your entire life. You might switch in and out of it. Like you've been able to transition happily and easily into wrestling. And I, I know you've tried like a bit of weightlifting as well and still been able to come back to powerlifting because there's such a base of strength there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, uh, you know, in sports science, uh, I remember even like from when I was at, at uni studying a bit, uh, in our subjects, I remember they used to say, put kids when they're young in multiple different types of sport before then, spe then specializing them into one of those sports, into one sport. And uh, the reason, one of the reasons for that was because of uh, neuroplasticity, especially at that age. They get to learn a better proprioception, better balance. They get to learn to jump, to change direction, move in different uh, planes of movement, and they really get an understanding of, of athleticism and their bodies. And it's very true. If you look at a lot of athletes in any sport, now you'll see that from early days, they would be involved in various types of different activities. They would still probably play the sport that they're specializing in now, but they would also participate in other sports, other activities. And they, those types of um, skills that they pick up in those early days, they stay with them. You know what I mean? And that's very important. It's the same thing here, just in a different scale. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've read lots of lots of things on that, and it's a big problem in the states in the mo at the moment, as far as I'm aware, because of their sort of scholarship deals. People are just obsessed about getting really good yeah. at something, but the guys who are making it to the top are the ones that played a bunch of different sports, guys and girls. Mm. So. Um, yeah. 
so just speaking on base strength and, and its athleticism, did you want to speak a little bit about how the brute strength that can come from developing the barbell lifts, not necessarily for powerlifting, but uh, just in general, can carry over and can be important for sport? There's still a lot of sports that don't see value in it and don't respect yeah. strength. Um, what would you say to those coaches? And yeah. speak Absolutely. No, you're right. Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, sports, the coaches and the culture within those sports are still very old school. And uh, they still believe that weight training, for example, makes you slow. And this is especially in combat sports, especially in boxing. Uh, a, a lot of the old school coaches still love that opinion. And here's the thing, uh, as, as simply as it can, um, it can be put. Every other form of strength is a derivative of max strength. So power is how fast you can show strength is your rate of force development now if you increase your ability to to produce a lot of force then your power goes up as well is is increasing your squat max the only way to improve your jump ability of course not nobody's saying that but if your squat ability is subpar for your sport for your body weight then you need to you need to bring that up and that's going to for sure help in your sprinting ability, in your jumping ability, uh, because you are capable of producing more force. Now all you have to do is teach the body to produce that force faster, to that rate of muscular contraction needs to be faster. And that can be done through different methods of power improvement. But if there's no good, solid, uh, respectable level of base max strength to begin with, for your sport, and every sport is different, then you cannot, you can't expect your body to be powerful, to be, to be able to produce a lot of power. Same thing with power endurance, muscular endurance. When you're stronger at doing something, everything else becomes relatively easier. If I have to lift up a, a table above my head, but my maximum shoulder press is 40 kilos and the table weighs 35, I'm only going to be able to do it once, maybe twice. But if my max overhead press is 100 kilos and you ask me to do it like it's an endurance event, you say, how many times can you press this table overhead? I will get it for a fair few reps before I tire out. Because uh, even without doing any muscular endurance work, because my, the, the work that I have to do is a fraction of my ability to do it. Now, once you get your shoulder press up and you now improve your muscular endurance through specific muscular endurance work, well, now you have a killer combination. So strength training is not the be-all and end-all, but it definitely doesn't make athletes slower if, if employed in the correct manner. If anything, it will make athletes far more better, far more sharper, far more dangerous than what they already are. But it just needs to be what, with, within sports. We're talking about different types of sports, not strength sports, not powerlifting. It just needs to be adequate for that sport. Some, sport, some athletes need a bigger squat. Some don't. Some need bigger deadlifts. Some don't. Some don't even need deadlifts. Uh, some need a bench press, a bigger bench press. Some don't. It's, that's just a, uh, about you and finding out what is required, how much is required, and, and you as the coach getting them there. Yeah, I think if, if we look at strength in isolation, uh, uh, just the barbell lift, 
it might have a lot of roadblocks as to, as to what it's going to do, but it's, it's, we need to look at it as a tool and it works in conjunction with your other work and the, the coordination work and whatever it is. Absolutely. And if you don't have that strength base to start with, nothing else can really be expressed as well. Yes, 100%. It's just right. one of the tools, like you said, one of the factors. Yeah. Um, so taking that, that, that idea, and, and we know that we need to include strength in athletes program. When we look at strength sports, sessions are generally very long. Uh, hour and a half, two hours, even up to three hours if you're a strong man because the setup takes about two hours of that time. Um, yeah. How can we maximize the time in the weight room? Talking specifically about, say, team sport athletes or people where you may only get 45 minutes in the gym and you have to hit these multiple elements. What are some strategies that you have to uh, maximize that time? Uh, this, this one is something probably you even, even know better than me and you, you, may, uh, you may agree with me on this. Uh, and if you don't, please let me know. But um, with, regards to, with regards to athletes or non, non-strength board athletes, you have to understand the goal of what you're trying to do. You're just trying to get them a little bit stronger than what they are up to the level that they need, as I was saying before. With athletes like that, chances are that their level of weight training experience, firstly, is not as much as, a, as an experienced powerlifter. So they can do less and still get the stimulus effect needed to get stronger. What's more is that you, you don't need so many different variations of the movement because that's not their sport. So with, with powerlifting, for example, yes, we've got to train the squat, but we also have to train other exercises that help target our weakness in the squat so that's why things can go on for a little bit longer because multiple sets have to be done and uh and um, more more volume needs to be done to be able to account for that uh, whereas with uh, field sport athletes for example we just want to make sure that they are doing adequate squats squat volume and so the stimulus for an improvement in their in their strength levels so that that can be carried over into an improvement in, in power later on through other types of um, drills and exercises that, that are then required for that person. So typically, you just, you just have to figure out how much, what is it that they actually need uh, in terms of uh, strength level and uh, look at their requirements within their sport. They're just uh, some bilateral work, some, some squatting, some unilateral, a unilateral exercise. Uh, if there's uh, the um, torso rigidity needs to be worked on in that session, you can do that via anti-rotation movement or what have you. And so you're starting to uh, work on a program that looks at different characteristics being built rather than trying to work on the squat or the bench or the deadlift where the exercises to follow are very specific for that work for that requirement. You're, you're just trying to get them to produce a little more force. And typically with athletes anyway, you, you're moving from one phase to another. In one phase, you might be doing, uh, if you're going through like a block periodization sort of um, format, you might be starting off with some hypertrophy work in that block, then going into some strength work, and then carrying that over into some, um, some power development. And even if you're going from strength to power development, you the, the amount of volume you have to do for maintenance is obviously, as you know, drastically lower than what you have to do for progression. So even, even then, the amount of work that you do can 
be reduced even further and be able to really hone down on what is actually needed uh, rather than just piling on extra work, all these different types of variations, all this amount of volume um, when it's not needed for various different reasons being the, the experience level of the athlete in, in strength sports, in strength training, all the way to the actual requirement of the athlete as far as the sport itself is concerned. Yeah, and I think you touched on a really important point there that is missed by a lot of people who are powerlifting coaches or have been powerlifters and also coach athletes. And it's not taking the powerlifting bias with you in the sense of the goal is not a 200 kilo squat. If we can get their squat stronger, they're going to be able to produce more force, be faster, jump faster, exactly. higher. But the number doesn't matter. It, it, we don't need to, with powerlifting, the numbers matter a little bit more. Obviously, we have competition. It's, it's what you get judged on. Absolutely. So I think that's yeah. a really important point for any coach to think about is what is the actual outcome you're trying to achieve? How will you get there? Don't confuse the how you get there as the outcome. Mm, exactly. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, one of the things you sort of touched on, touched on a little bit there is the periodization element. So in powerlifting, we know we might compete three times in a year, maybe four. Uh, so obviously you have a lot of time to go through those different phases. Um, when we compare it to a, uh, like a team sport where we might be competing every week or for a nine-month period, how would you vary the sort of uh, degree in which you periodize between like a strength sport athlete, how long do you spend on, say, hypertrophy, strength, et cetera, uh, versus a team sport? Obviously, there is uh, contextual factors there, but just sort of a general overview. Yeah, so with, with powerlifting, uh, because it's not a, it's not a uh, season sport, so to speak, like there's just comps and you just pick what comp you want to do, uh, you want to f obviously focus the, the bulk of your um, efforts towards the important comps. Like, as you know, recently we had qualifiers for state championships and our athletes, the ones that, that we, like, we, put on, we put through all those athletes towards the, through the qualifying comps, we didn't even pick them. They were, they were just doing, they were in the middle of their training block and they just did the competition and they just continued with the training block as if, as if nothing has happened. Because uh, there's no point picking them for a qualifying competition. We're just trying to get them to get the qualifying total so that they can go to the actual important competition and do that one. With, uh, so with powerlifters when, when, um, uh, or strength, strength athletes in general, when a competition finishes and they don't have another, that it was an important comp, but they don't have any important comps coming up for a while. What you want to do is you want to try and, if possible, further maximize muscle cross-sectional area, build more muscle. If they can, if they can fit it on their frame, if they're, you know, um, not at a point where they're really uh, pushing the limits of their uh, weight class. Uh, so let's just say you want them to stay in that weight class and they can put on more uh, muscle size. It's time for you to improve their body composition, reduce excess body fat, increase muscle size so that they can have the potential to increase more force uh, coming up into the next strength block in the next peak. A bigger lifter is going to be a stronger lifter, generally speaking. So that's, uh, that's the first thing. How long would you do it for? A hypertrophy block, uh, typically, depending, it just depends on how long, how much time you've got until the next competition. But you want to do it at least for four weeks to, to bring about some morphological change. Uh, but you wouldn't do it for more than 12 weeks at a time. 
personally, I wouldn't do it, uh, especially within the context of a, of a powerlifter. By that time, it's, it's well and truly now close to competition time and, and you need to start thinking about getting into strength blocks and start going heavier so that they can get, uh, they can get some, some experience, some practice with it. What's more, what's, what's probably different with, a, with a, a strength sport athlete is that even in a hypertrophy block, because we don't, we, we don't want them to lose touch of heavy weights because heavy weights have a skill in of themselves. Uh, we want to make sure that they don't completely dissipate that skill. So even if they're in a hypertrophy block, we might still put in a top set of a heavy triple or a heavy five, sometimes maybe a heavy single, so that they can get a feel for what it still feels like to have a heavy bar on their, on their back or in their hands. And uh, so that would go anywhere between four to 12 weeks. And then after that, we start thinking about going into a, into a strength block and uh, working towards, towards competition. Um, uh, a peak block would come anywhere between four to six weeks out from a competition, maybe eight in some instances, if, if it's a really experienced, really strong lifter and they need to, they need that amount of time for, for a peak. For a, uh, for a team sport athlete, like a football player or, or, or even other athletes such as like boxers or wrestlers, uh, you, you want to, the same thing, you want to understand and, and make sure that they're well within, within their uh, weight class. You don't want them to, to uh, just carry extra muscle for no reason where it's going to make them hard to squeeze into, into the weight class they need to be. But if they have room to put on more without affecting uh, performance, then sure, it's a great idea to, to, uh, to do it. Uh, especially talking, for example, uh, super heavyweight uh, boxers or wrestlers, you know, it's, it might be a good idea for them to carry a little bit more muscle if uh, you feel that strength is what they're lacking in. And then uh, from there, you, would, you just have to have a look at when the next competition is, when the season is. So if you're in the off season, uh, you, you would just uh, break it up. You would allow uh, two, three weeks for a, for a peak and taper. Or at least typically that's how I would do it. And the first uh, four to six, maybe eight weeks would be for hypertrophy. And the reason for, the, for that hypertrophy block, the other main reason is not so much just to get them bigger, but also what happens is that at the back end of the season, uh, they're losing strength uh, through full range of motion, they're also losing some muscle tissue towards that back end of the season because they're not able to put out the same amount of volume as they usually would when they're in their off-season building muscle. So we want to restore lost muscle tissue. We want to restore full range of motion. We want to restore strength through, through a full range of motion. We want to restore tendon strength. Uh, and <clears throat> that's done best through a full range of motion. So hypertrophy work starts to restore also work capacity for, for that athlete. So uh, doing sets of 10, 12 with uh, relatively shorter rest periods between sets, as long as it's not interfering with technique execution is a great idea because uh, they're doing a set of squat, 12 reps, that's tough. And when they have, to, when they have two minutes rest and they have to go again, that starts to work a little bit on some muscular endurance. It starts to work somewhat on their fitness on their work capacity to be able to recover quickly. Uh, obviously, that's going to be done in conjunction with their actual fitness work, uh, which is separate. But uh, that's what you want to start to get them to do, to have that base level of conditioning. So when they're getting into their strength block, they can recover faster between sessions. They can recover faster between hard sets. 
uh, and they they just they can go they can regenerate they feel better and uh, after obviously after that strength block you you would look at going into a power development block for for athletes speaking not so much for strength athletes um, and then eventually into a into a peak and a taper into um, preseason and competition. Great, yes, yeah, some some super valuable information there, and I think that's uh, what a lot of people can, a lot of people might think forget about sometimes is you are you're restoring stuff that's been lost and also creating a bit of a buffer for the upcoming season because during season we just you can't maintain the same workload to even probably maintain. You can keep close, and you know in some circumstances you might with a newer athlete, but. It's about restoring and creating buffer so that you can be strong in an entire season. And it's that preseason where you can get a lot of that in, right? Um, you spoke about the, the sort of technical aspect there. And we even mentioned it before when we talk about technique hacks and things like that. How do you judge when that time is to, to alter something? Obviously, we know there's no one perfect technique. There's certain things we want to look for. But where do you, what helps you make that decision about whether it's time to refine something or if it's just still about building brute strength? And do you have any sort of assessment protocols you might use with new or even more experienced athletes? That's a good question. So I think uh, one trap people fall into is um, not progressing in their training, not, not putting more weight on the bar, not being aggressive enough with their progress until they feel that the technique is 100% perfect. And, uh, and I, you know, that's the other end of the spectrum to other people who are just ego lifting all the time, clearly doing incorrect technique, dangerous technique, but they just keep going heavier and heavier. They're both just as bad as each other. I think if a technique looks sound enough uh, and, and there's no real criteria for this, this is hard to explain. It's just the thing that you pick up as a coach. You'd know what I'm talking about. You look at somebody's squat, you look at somebody's deadlift, somebody's bench press, it looks good enough. The bar path is right. They have an adequate control of their, of their body's positioning as they're going. When they're squatting, like they, they're not doing a good morning squat where their hips are shooting in the air and, and, and then the, the, the chest stays behind and they do good morning the weight up. Things like that aren't happening. There's a little bit of unsteadiness maybe, but it's certainly passable. When, as long as the technique is like that, quote unquote, passable, they should continue. The reason for that, one of the main reasons for that is because you actually can't know how bad your technique is until you get to past a certain threshold, past 80, 85% of your max. That's when things start to really move different. It's a different, it has a different technique there. You can squat 60%, 65, 70% of your, uh, of your uh, max like all day uh, and, and you always squat it perfectly, you know. Uh, it's just simple technique work, that one. But as soon as you start to put 85% and more on the bar and even going for singles or doubles, not even pushing it to failure or fatigue, you start to see uh, problems come about. And it's important because uh, when, you, when you stay around that zone on a regular enough basis, you get to get more practice at that kind of weight. So you get to figure it out. You get to fix it. You get to make it smoother. And that's important. So as long as the technique, as, as long as the technique and execution of a lift is good enough, continue to progress with the weight. Get a, a go aggressively, more aggressively with your with your training. Don't be don't be timid about putting on weight on the bar. Don't be timid about progression. It's important for you to explore that that area, that 
that cutoff, that line. You need to flirt with it a little bit sometimes. But you have to be also disciplined to understand that, hey, this, this, this here now, that's not good enough. It needs to get better than this before I put some weight on the bar. I need, to, I need to sharpen that up. I need to clean up that technique. And that's important. And that's why uh, people sometimes, more often than not, need a coach. Because uh, if they want to really get anywhere meaningful, I'm talking about, not just recreational level lifting. Uh, because uh, a coach will point that out to you. An experienced coach who has your best interests uh, at heart will point that out to you and say, okay, just stop there. We're just going to uh, hang around this weight until things look a little bit better. Then we're going to continue. Next week, do the same weight. Even though you got the required reps, the required sets with that weight, and this is something I often say to my, to my athletes, they get five sets of five at whatever weight it was supposed to be. They do it. But the technique wasn't quite there yet. So although theoretically they can go up another 2 3 4% next week, they shouldn't. I tell them to stay on that weight perfect it a little more. And sometimes we may hang out at that weight for two, three, four weeks until it looks right. And then we go up. But uh, on the other hand, don't be so timid that just because something was a little bit hard, something was a little bit grindy um, for just a second, it didn't feel just exactly how you wanted it to feel that you should stop progressing. progressing. Because that progression is what uh, allows you to see and feel that heavier weight and what you actually have to do to control the weight, control your body, your proprioception, your balance, your, your segments in, in, in space as you're moving through the lift. And that's important. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I guess, a big part of the, the art of coaching and be able to figure out where that gray zone is and not getting too caught on one end or the other. And I think you made a really valid point there. It's yeah, 60%. Anyone can make 60% look perfect, but if you don't challenge it, and that's like in anything, whether it's sprinting or whatever, if we don't challenge or drilling in wrestling, you might be able to drill it all day when your partner's not giving any resistance, but mm, exactly. we try to do it when the guy's fighting back. Yeah. It's not going to hold up. Story. As well. So you need to expose yeah. yourself to, to the shit a little bit. Exactly. Right, awesome. Uh, we're coming to the end of our time. So I just wanted to finish off with a bit of a question uh, to be really relevant to, to the younger coaches out there, but what is one thing that you would tell your younger self? And that's a younger self who's sort of starting off as a coach, breaking into the industry, opening up Adonis Athletics. Uh, what would you tell that younger coach or yourself? Um, I've actually thought about this uh, a lot over the years. Uh, what, I would, what I would do differently is I would uh, find myself a mentor in whatever area I feel I lack in. Um, thing is, by nature, I'm a stubborn person and I like to do it myself. And I like to say that I did it myself uh, because for me, it feels like an achievement. And, you know, now it's done. I'm here now and I did it myself. And it does feel great, but uh, you can save yourself a lot, of, uh, a lot of time. Time is very important. And as I get older as I get more mature I realize that more and more and you can save yourself a lot of headache a lot of headache a lot of trying to figure it out a lot of frustration um, because you're going to learn it anyway right if you're going to learn it yourself let's just say you decide I'm just going to learn it myself I'm just doing it myself you're going to learn it anyway so you might as well learn it now instead of in six months from now by doing it yourself or in three years from now or sometimes in 10 years from now 
So that's probably what I would say to coaches out there who, who are starting out and listening to this. Whatever you want to get good at, whatever you want to get more knowledge in, um, if, you want to, if you want to be a better lifter and you feel that, that that's how you'll get better at being a coach because you'll lift yourself, do it, figure out what it's all about, stuff like that. Good, find yourself a coach who will program for you, who you can ask questions. Don't think that you're getting yourself a coach to coach you in powerlifting or weightlifting or, or whatever. Think that you're getting yourself a mentor, but it's a hands-on mentorship. You're actually lifting and communicating and asking questions and learning instead of just sitting there behind the, behind the table uh, like you often would think of how a mentorship would be and, and like um, just talking about stuff. You're actually doing and learning, doing and learning and asking questions and going like that. So find somebody who is where you want to be, who is the type of person you, you, you want to be and, and pay them. Pay them because it's going to pay off for you. You're going to get more than that in return and you're going to get it earlier rather than later. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. The, my biggest spikes in progress have always come when I've had a mentor in whatever area it is. So I think that's a really, really valuable sure. information that, that everyone should take on. Well, Amir, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, where would be the best place for people to find you if they want to learn more about strength training or what Adonis Athletics is doing? Uh, you can get me personally on, on the gram, uh, the underscore sport performance coach, um, or on online, www.adonisathletics.com.au. Uh, find me on Facebook, Amir Fazeli. Uh, looking forward to having a chat with, uh, with anybody who wants to have a chat. Yeah, so I'll put all that information in the notes as well, but some real gold today, so I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Amir. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Have a good one.